If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're beginning this series last week called Living Hope. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And we saw how Peter, beginning in verse 3, said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, for you who are kept by the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Here is the message for us that we can have hope. We can live in hope each day because of our living hope in Christ Jesus. And it's my hope and prayer that you would experience that hope through Christ Jesus every single day. But, but as Peter continues, beginning in verse 13, uh, I, I mentioned it last week, want to uh, lean into it this week. Verse 13, listen to what Peter writes. He writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that, has been, uh, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The, the command there is to set your hope. It, it's, it's a command to hope. It's a command to do more than just have a wishful thinking about life. It's, it's a command to do more than just uh, think good things may come, more than just dreaming about rainbows and unicorns. Rather, this is the confident expectation. That God is moving according to his love for those who belong to him through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the confident expectation that God is moving with power and victory and doing the excellent things that his love does on behalf of his people. It is more than just wishing something would happen. It is the confidence that God is doing excellent things on behalf of his people. All right, so that's hope. So how do we live in that hope? Um, the command is to hope in the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How, how can we soak in that hope? And that's, that's kind of what we were doing this week. You know, uh, at the end of this week, I don't know if you watched television uh, but on television, you had a lot of World War II shows. Uh, National Geographic had World War II every single hour, and, and I just kind of got captured by it. I, I loved watching the World War II shows, talking about, um, first of all, the despair. There was a deep despair in Europe and, and throughout the world, but especially in the Europe, uh, European areas, the, the desperation, the darkness that had overshadowed uh, Europe uh, with uh, the first blitzkrieg from Adolf Hitler's Third Reich, uh, fascism and evil began to seep throughout the countries and nations of Europe so that, um, as we know now, the wickedness of that regime would be memorialized in places like Auschwitz and Dachau. The indiscriminate 
destruction of life. And the people in Europe who had become conquered by uh, that Third Reich and the axis of evil, that, that the people in Europe were, were, were desperate for hope. And their hope was in not what they could do because they were already conquered. Their hope was in the Allied forces. You know, the Allied forces, that's the United States, and it was Canada, and it was Australia. We don't want to miss them, and Great Britain. And they had, in Europe, there was a hope that, that perhaps the Allied forces would bring victory, release from the dark day of despair that Hitler had invaded on their land. On June the 6th, 1944, hope hit Europe. You see, that was D-Day. That was the day where hope came alive for all the citizens of Europe as the Allied forces invaded the shores of Normandy and began to push inland and take back the territory that the Third Reich had owned. They, they began to bring victory and hope to the citizens of Europe, and, and hope was alive for them because... Their heroes had come. They began that long journey of hope. You would think that, that once uh, that Normandy invasion, D-Day, became a reality that, and in fact, many of the Allied forces thought that, that the victory was fully won, but it wasn't yet. The long journey of hope began on June the 6th, 1944, but as, as the Allied forces continued to press into Europe and make their way toward Berlin, uh, evil still had its day, and they still pushed back against the light that was pushing against them. They were trying to kill hope, although hope would not be killed at that moment. And, and, and that long journey of hope that began on June the 6th, 1944, was fully realized on May the 8th, 1945, when Berlin fell, Hitler was gone, and the Third Reich was no more. I was talking to my granddaddy this week, got to see him for a couple of days. My granddaddy is in his 90s, and, and he was in the Pacific Theater of World War II. And he was uh, stationed here in, Na in Norfolk with the Navy uh, and then went to Michigan, got some training there, and then he was deployed uh, on mission to the Pacific Theater. Uh, but as I was talking to him about uh, what was going on in his world, he, 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 has, he has had some, some tougher days uh, in his 90s. It's the first time he's kind of lost his independence. In January, he fell and he hurt his hip and he was in a, a step-down unit for some time. Then he had to go live with... Uh, his family, my, my aunts and uncles uh, there in South Knoxville, as he lived with, lived with them, he, 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 he kind of bristles at that a little bit. He wants to go home, but he needs to be with his family. Well, anyway, he went to the doctor this past week, and, and the doctor checking his, his health and his vital signs, and, and uh, he, he, he got the report from the doctor. The doctor said, your vital signs are great. And my granddaddy looked and turned to my mother, and he said these words. In response to your vital signs are great, he said, well, I guess I don't have much hope of getting out of here anytime soon. 
Now, let me tell you what he meant. See, he wasn't in a hospital, and he wasn't in a uh, step-down unit, and he, he, he was with his family, but he's surrounded by family, so he wasn't talking about that. When he said, I guess there's no hope of me getting out of here anytime soon, he was talking about living on this earth. You see, my granddaddy loves Jesus, and he loves my grandmother. My grandmother's in heaven, and, my, and, and his Jesus is in heaven, and my granddaddy longs for the day when he will get to heaven and see Jesus face to face and walk hand in hand with his king and see his lovely wife, Louise, again. He longs for heaven. That's his hope. As followers of Jesus, do you realize our hope should be heaven? Not good times on this earth, although I'm happy for good times to happen, right? Uh, not, not for uh, wealth and prosperity this side of heaven, although that's not necessarily a bad thing. Not, not for uh, uh, games to be played and ambitions to be fulfilled this side of heaven. Guys, our hope is heaven. That's what Peter's talking about. Throughout this letter, he's saying, look, you're just a pilgrim this side of heaven, You're part of the family of faith, and Jesus is the hero of your story. He purchased your salvation. He's the living hope that you have through his resurrection from the dead. He's the one who has uh, given you the grace you need to, to soak in hope each day. He is the one who died on the cross for your sin. He shed his precious blood to forgive your sin and to bring you into the family of God. This is who Jesus is. He's the hero of your story, but he's the hero that's taking you all the way to heaven. And there'll be a day when you see Jesus face to face and he, that heaven, that's our hope. That's where we're shooting for. Stop shooting short of heaven and thinking that makes you happy. Stop shooting short of heaven and thinking that makes you happy. You were designed to be at home in heaven. And until we're there, there is a sense of discontent that we all carry with us. So as we look at the discontent we carry this side of heaven, what Peter does, he says, now I want you to live in hope. I, I, want you, I, I want you to have hope, but, but I know that there's a sense of discontent. So, so he gives us steps to immerse our days and moments in hope. It, that, that, that we would have these uh, seconds and seasons, moments and minutes in our life, this side of heaven immersed in hope. How can you have hope when everybody at your job dislikes you? How can you have hope when you and your spouse are at odds? How can you have hope when your child has wandered away into who knows where? How can you have hope when the bills are more than the income? How can you have hope? Well, the the answer is you can. You can have hope. I can have hope. This hope belongs to us. God has this hope that's been uh, made available to us. It's called his grace. And he's opened his arms filled with grace. And he's opened the hope to us. And he says, now come each day 
and immerse each moment in the hope I've made available to you through Jesus. What Peter does, he says, okay, the command is hope, verse 13. Now, here are the steps to immerse each moment in hope. What are the steps? Well, again, this is not creative preaching. I just want you to know, this isn't creative. This is straight up, just you would get this no matter what. It's taking every command that we have in this passage and making a point out of it and calling it a step to hope because that's exactly what it is. Each one of these commands that we find give us direction in how to, verse 13, set our hope on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we live in hope every single day this side of heaven? Well, the first step is we've got to obey God. Look at verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, be holy even as I am holy. All right, so what's he saying here? He's saying the enemy of hope is disobedience to God. For followers of Jesus, the enemy of hope is not your outside circumstances. That's what we like to blame. We like to say, well, my husband's a jerk, therefore I have no hope. Right? (laughs) Can I tell you, your husband may be a jerk, but there is hope. I'm just looking around the room at the wives punching their husbands right now. He's he's talking about you, you know. See, the greatest enemy of hope is our disobedience to God. You want to set your hope firmly, consistently, and faithfully on the revelation of God's grace, on the grace that is brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, then we need to obey God. Uh, as obedient children, Peter writes, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as, uh, as in you did in your ignorance, but uh, as he is holy, we ought to be holy in all our conduct. All right, so what does that mean? It means when we have the option between doing what we want and doing what God wants, we do what God wants. Obedience is not uh, relative. And what I mean is obedience doesn't change just because your likes or dislikes change. Obedience is based upon God saying, this is what I want, therefore you do it. Now, the reason he does that is because he says, you want to live in hope. You want every second soaking in hope. You want every minute, every moment immersed in hope, then you need to set your gaze upon the grace that I've opened up to you. Can I tell you what happens in disobedience? Uh, Disobedience is where we turn our backs on the grace that gives us hope. I'm not saying we lose our salvation. I'm just saying we turn our backs on it. See, God, in his grace through Jesus, has opened up this wonderful gift that will soak our soul in satisfaction that will chase away discontent. He he opens up this grace, and he makes this grace available, ongoing for us through Jesus Christ, okay? When we choose disobedience, 
we choose to turn our back on God's favor. We choose to turn our back on him and walk a different direction so that we're no longer clinging to hope, the confident expectation that God is working in love on our behalf, but now we're walking away from that. And we're saying, you know what? I don't need that anymore. I'm just going to do things my way. And we lose hope. Not because God has changed, not because his uh, grace has, has diminished we lose hope because we're walking away from it. The opposite is also true. You and I, we want to soak in hope. We want to soak every second of our day in hope. We want to uh, immerse every moment in hope. Then we need to obey God. Obeying God is walking in the favor of God. Obedience to God is where we are um, soaking our lives in God's good pleasure. And by the way, that's where we find hope. Confident expectation, even in dark days, comes as we are obedient to God and understand that he is for us. Now, can I tell you good news about this? Obedience is not always easy. Do you, can, I, can I get an amen? Obedience is not always easy. And the truth is, there are, there are moments in every single day where I don't obey. I know it's shocking to some. Heard the gasp down here that was joking. Uh, if, if it's shocking for you to hear that your pastor has a hard time obeying God, if that, if that is offensive to you, then you have the wrong view of a pastor. See, I'm not on any pedestal or platform higher than you. I am the same as you. I struggle with sin like you do and disobedience like you do. Our sin may be different. It may be more secretive, silent, or subtle. It may not be nearly as out loud as some of you because I've seen some of y'all sin. Uh, just kidding. It may, it may be more subtle, but make no mistake, it is just as sticky on my soul. And so obedience can be hard. Here's some good news for you. We'll come back to this in a second. No matter how I am not obedient to God, God still treats me like his son. That can be hard sometimes, but he still treats me like a son. And he says, you belong to me, so I'm going to correct you. All right? So we need to obey God. Second step to hope to soak in hope, to soak every second of our life in hope. The second step is to live fearfully. Now, you might have heard it said, if you want to have hope in your life, live fearlessly. Wrong, 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 wrong. That's like somebody saying, if you want to have hope in your life, just believe in yourself. Wrong, 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 wrong. That's bad advice. It has no wisdom to it. My goodness, can you imagine saying, well, I believe in myself, and that's where I'm going to get my hope. Guys, I get lost in my own neighborhood. How am I going to navigate my way to hope? I can't. Neither can you. 
This idea of living fearlessly, that's going to give me hope. I'm going to be independent, autonomous. I'm going to stand on my own strength and, and, and move forward according to my own courage, and that's going to give me hope. Wrong! I saw a snake this week. If there's anything that tells me how weak I really am, it's when I see a snake. Ah! You know the one thing that freaks me out more than a snake? A tick. I kid you not, found a tick on my arm this week. I mean, I freaked out, almost stepped on a, a copperhead. I, I freaked out. But that didn't, I didn't, I didn't squeal. When I saw the tick on my arm, I went, tick, tick. You know what I'm saying? You have something like that? And I'm going to say, I'm going to live fearlessly. Oh, please. But that's not even what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we need to live fearfully. Look at verse 17. Just, just lean into verse 17. It says, and if you call on the Father, so here's the picture. We're part of God's family. We call on him as our Father. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, here's what you need to do. All right, so, so the picture is God is our Father, and he is judging us, evaluating us according to the work that we do, according to the, to, to the choices we make and the decisions we make and the path we walk, okay? So that's reality. But according to our obedience or disobedience, he's evaluating us, all right? But he's doing it as a father, okay? So if our father who judges all without partiality, if he's going to evaluate me, here's the result. Here's what needs to happen then I need to, here's the command, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Conduct yourselves from here to heaven in fear. Live fearfully. Not fearfully of circumstances, not fearfully of people, not fearfully of snakes or ticks. Live fearfully. The Bible calls it wisdom. It's living for the honor and the respect, for the pleasure of God. To live fearfully means that I'm going to live to make God smile. Not me smile, God smile. Guys, here's where we get in trouble. We forfeit hope because we think we get hope when we do what we want. That's living fearlessly. And what the Bible says is, we get hope when we don't do what we want. We do what God wants because we know that Father always knows best. And so we're going to chase after what brings him pleasure. We're going to chase after what makes him smile. Live in fear from here to heaven. Fear of the Lord. And the reason that's called wisdom is because in Proverbs it says that, that the fear of the Lord, living to make God smile, in everything that we do, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we live fearfully, we dive into God's open arms and say, I just, I just want to make you smile, God. I just want to bring you, bring you pleasure. Even if it means I don't get what I want, especially when it means I don't get what I want, I want to bring you pleasure, O oh Lord. I want to live fearfully. So first step, obey God. Second, live fearfully. 
Third, love fervently. Look at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, here's the command, love one another fervently with a pure heart. All right, so again, love fervently. Loving fervently means that I love without hypocrisy. I love seriously. I love passionately. And I love almost indiscriminately. It, it, love here is not the romance kind of love that we see on soap operas or, or movies. Uh, it's not a Grey's Anatomy kind of crazy love that is silly and insane. It is a love that Jesus has shown to us. It is a sacrifice love. It is a serving love. And we're to love others the way Jesus has loved us. That was our Bible verse that we memorized this week, John 13, 34, and 35. You remember if you memorized it, John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this, people will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. I, you know, that's not for nothing. That is command. Do you realize what Peter is saying is one of the goals of our salvation, one of the reasons we were rescued from the cell of our shame was so that we might love others the way Jesus has loved us. Get that. You weren't saved just so that you won't go to hell. You were saved in part so that you would love others the way Jesus has loved you, so that you would walk across the street to the person who spits on your sidewalk and treat them like a brother that you never even knew. It's, it's the person that cuts you off in traffic and you smile and you pray a prayer, not imprecatory psalm or anything, but a prayer. And you have to look that up. But you pray a prayer of blessing on that person that cuts you off even though you want to cuss them. Boy, is that just me? It means that you sacrifice selfishness and pursue selflessness. Biblical love, the way Jesus has loved us, is where I give up my stuff just to bless you. And that's your husband or wife, your children, your parents, your grandparents. Your, your, uh, it's also your friends. It's also your frenemy. And it's also your hateful enemy. It's the person across the street and it's the stranger you might not even know do you realize we're supposed to love people the way Jesus has loved us whether we know them or whether we like them it does not matter we're supposed to love them and and that opens the door to hope it, it soaks the seconds of our day and, and it immerses the minutes and moments of our day in hope because it 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 is a commitment to live in the grace of God. It's where I have, if I'm going to love fervently, I've got to walk each moment in the embrace of the one who loves me fervently. It's me living each moment in the grace. And the more I live in this grace that Jesus has delivered to me, um, the more I have hope. 
All right, so, so and by the way, the, this is not unique. Uh, obey God, live for, fearfully can be summed up in one command that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Obey God, live fearfully, love God supremely. And then that third step, Jesus said in the second commandment, like unto it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, this is the greatest commandment. Love God supremely, love others sacrificially, fervently. Obey God, live fearfully, love fervently. This is how we have hope. By the way, this isn't changing any of our circumstances. This isn't even God changing any of our circumstances. This is God taking us where we are in the circumstances, in the relationships, at the work, in the financial straits, wherever we are. It's God saying to us, here is hope. And it's found not in your circumstances or your relationships. It is found supremely in the grace that Jesus pours out to us fresh and new every morning. There's our hope. Are you living in the hope? The steps to hope, obey God, live fearfully, love fervently. Easy, right? Oh, not really. Hold on a minute. There's nothing easy about that. It's hard to obey God. It's hard to live fearfully. It's hard to love fervently. So, there's some guidelines here in, in this passage that, that helps us every day obey God, live fearfully, love fervently. There, there are guidelines, and, and it's surrounded by the therefore. In, in 1 Peter 1.13, therefore, and then there's some practical application of how we can immerse our moments in hope and follow these steps to hope. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, there is another therefore. So let's look at the therefores and see some practical steps that you and I can take every day. Listen, this is what you do. This is how we've got to do it if we're going to have hope immersing our moments from here to heaven. If we're going to experience a life satisfied, not, not racked with discontent or despair, or hopelessness, but as followers of Jesus, if we're going to walk in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, here's what we got to do every morning. The first, look at verse 13. Therefore, strange freakish phrase, gird the loins of your mind. That's a strange, that is a strange phrase to us. It would be similar to us saying, roll up your sleeves. Same kind of thing. It, it's the idea in the Oriental world, everybody wore a robe all the time. You wore a robe. And you couldn't get active doing work, running the 5K in Jerusalem. You couldn't do those things with a long flowing robe. So what they would do is they would gird the robe. They would take the loose folds of the robe, they would wrap it up and they would tuck it in the sash that they wore. And so now they didn't have a robe, they had shorts or skort. 
and they were ready for action. And that's exactly what uh, Peter's saying. He's saying, oh, so here's what you've got to do. If you want to obey God, live fearfully, love fervently, follow these steps, then when you wake up tomorrow morning, you need to get ready. You need to roll up your sleeves. You need to take all the, the fragile thoughts, all the discontent, all the doubts and confusion. You need to take all those thoughts, all those voices in your head. Do you have voices in your head? I do. Those voices that tell me I'm no good, that I'm a failure, that I can't do this, all those things that, that, that scream in my ear, I need to take all that and I need to submit it to the living God. I need to wrap all those up in a bundle and say, God, here are all the things that are going through my head. I believe I'm a failure. I believe I can't make this happen. I don't think I can obey you. I can't give up that sin. All these things, God, God, these are the voices in my head. And so I'm giving them to you right now. I'm getting ready. That's, that's girding up the loins of my mind. I'm, I'm getting ready. Not only do I get ready, but then I get focused. Girding up the loins of your mind, be sober. Being sober isn't refraining from alcohol. That's not what it's talking about. Being sober means that I have a clarity of thought and mind. I have, I have a singular focus. It's where I train my mind to think about one thing. So what's the one thing? If I'm going to roll up my sleeves, get ready. I'm going to bundle up all these fragile thoughts that tell me I'm no good and that I can't, I can't live for God's glory. I can't obey him. I can't live fearfully. I can't love fervently. I have all those thoughts. I, I bundle them up. I give them to God. Then what do I focus on? I focus on Jesus. He's the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. In my weakness, and that weakness is immense, he become strong for me. I need to set my gaze upon Jesus. I need to get focused on him. I need to be soberly thinking. All right, so, so I go, and, and, and my, my wife would never do this, but if she did, if she, if she were ugly to me, and that would just make me crumble, she would never do it because she's not that person. But, but if she ever were ugly to me, she's not here today. Sometimes she gets ugly. Uh, but, but if she were ever ugly to me, and that makes my heart crumble, how do I respond? Well, the, the, the natural response of me is I'm going to be ugly back, right? Y'all ever do this? Is this husband and wife thing? Can I tell you, is that how you, is that how you have operated in days past? I, I'm, uh, she's ugly to me, I'm ugly back to her, and then you have this blow-up fight, and it's ongoing. Uh, but that, uh, don't go with what's natural. You want to have hope? You want to be focused? Then you say, okay, God, uh, I, I've had this, this fracture in my relationship. Uh, I, I bundle up all the feelings, all the emotions, that, all, the, all the voices. I bundle them all up, and I'll submit them to you. And now I'm going to focus on Jesus. Jesus, what would you do? How would you respond? How would you feel? What would you say? Oh, God, my job. My job stinks. Oh, God, my job. I don't know what to do. It makes me feel so insecure. And so you bundle all up all those thoughts, all those emotions. You submit them to God. And then you say, oh, God, my job. Jesus, how would you respond? Jesus, what would you do? Not, not what I want to do, Eric Thomas wants to do. I want to do what Jesus wants to do. Oh, God, my husband. Oh, Lord. My husband, I don't know what to do. This is how he makes me feel. This is what he, uh, what, what should I do? I bundle up all those emotions, all those thoughts, and I submit them to God. And then I say, Jesus, what, what would you do in this? See, it, the, if we're going to 
every morning, obey God, live fearfully, love fervently. We need to get prepared, get ready, bundle up all those thoughts, submit them to God, and we need to get focused, get focused on who Jesus is. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, right? He's the one who's already blazed the trail. I just need to follow after him. And as I follow after him, the promise is he is lavishing God's favor upon me. As I'm focused on him, I begin to see him more clearly. As I see him more clearly, I get hold of more of the grace that God has already made accessible to me through Christ. I get more of his favor and I taste more of his hope. Get focused. The third thing is get rid of your junk. You got to get rid of your junk. Until we get rid of our junk, sin, we're not going to walk in hope. We're not going to live in hope. We're not going to obey God. We're not going to live fearfully. We're not going to live fervently. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore. So 113 is the therefore. 2-1 is the, the second therefore. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. Okay, so, so what's he saying there? He's saying you've got to deal with your sins. You need to be a regular confessor and a persistent repenter. You need to deal with your sins. By the way, evil speaking there is not saying a cuss word every now and then. Evil speaking is where I use my words to hurt somebody else whether they know it or not. It's where I talk about somebody because I, I don't, I, I'm jealous of them or I, I want to hurt them. It's, it's using my words in a way that is demeaning or diminishing of another person. That's evil speaking. And we evil speak against people all the time. Can I tell you, this is one of the most common barriers and enemies to hope that we have as followers of Jesus. It's it's not who's in the White House. It's, it's, It's not the economy. It's not the culture and the decay of 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 Judeo Christian principles. The enemy of hope is evil speaking. It's malice. It's envy. It's me. Do you see what begins to happen when we stop blaming everybody else of why I don't have hope? We start taking personal responsibility, the responsibility that God gives us. We then allow the Spirit of God to show us what we need to turn away from. We see the junk in our life that we need to get rid of. And then we confess it to God, and then we repent of it, and then we turn away from it. And when we turn away from our junk, we're turning toward God's favor. And as we turn toward God's favor, what happens? Hope! The confident expectation that God is doing marvelous things. Practical steps. How do we love God? Live fearfully. Love fervently. Get ready. Get focused. Get rid of your junk, and then finally get in God's Word. As newborn babes crave the pure milk of the Word. You know what he's saying there? He's saying you want to find strength in difficult days. If you want to find nourishment for your soul and victory for your everyday life, then stop going it alone and stop going by your own compass and go to God's word, which directs your steps, corrects your steps, nourishes your soul, gives you life-giving, satisfying, soul-shaping hope. Go to God's word. As newborn babes, 
in the innocence of our infancy, knowing that milk is what we need, we need to be just like that. What we need is not just an encounter with some words on a page called the Bible. We need to have an encounter with the living God as we open his word and as his spirit applies his word to our lives and gives us the true north and tells us when we're going astray and helps us see what Jesus would do and tells us who we are. Well, friends, please understand, even with all that, getting ready, getting focused, getting rid of my junk, Getting in God's word, all those things, can I tell you what's going to happen? I, I, just, I just want to be honest with you. You're going to disobey God again. And you're going to try to live for yourself fearlessly rather than live for God fearfully. And you're going to not love fervently. See, this, this is our challenge. But even in the face of our own failings, God remains our Father. I have four daughters, and I love them more than life itself. And I would literally give them everything that I have if their mother would let me. I love my four daughters. No matter what they do, good or bad, my love will never diminish for them. No matter what they do. And they can walk a path I don't approve. They can make decisions I don't want them to make. They can curse me. And I will love them with the same fervency. Why? Because those are my girls. And I'm an imperfect dad. And I respond to the failings of my daughters with love, just like my daddy did for me. God is the perfect father. And no matter how far you walk away from hope, he is the father who loves you. And he still calls you son. He still calls you daughter. And he still opens his arms ready to lavish his grace upon you again. Here's the hope, even in our failing, that God has not given up on us, and he loves us supremely. Let's bow our heads together, please. Whether you're here at the request of a friend or You've been here for some time, whether you're at First Norfolk on Kimsville or First Norfolk on Volvo. Make no mistake, God brought you here on purpose. In these next few moments, my prayer for you is that you would listen as God speaks through his word. 
and that you would hear him show you the path that you need to walk toward hope. Maybe you need to get rid of some of your junk today and maybe you need to curl up in the lap of your father. Maybe you need to commit to live fearfully because you've been living so fearlessly. Whatever God leads you to do in these moments, I pray that he would give you the courage and the faith to do that very thing, that you would walk focused on Jesus right now. So now, Father, in this moment, in this time, as we have turned our hearts toward you and our attention toward you, I pray that you would speak to your people, that we would hear you and that we would respond in hope. Help for us to obey you. Help for us to live fearfully. Help for us to love fervently. Now it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.